here is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Instead of going on a diet, could I just, you know, identify as really, really thin? I'll figure that out in 60 seconds. Glenn Beck program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for my friend Glenn today. And let's say, just for the sake of argument, you're, you know, fat. Not girth enhanced, not overweight, not pudgy, not fat. You're fat. Now, what do you do about it? Well, for me, I get back in the bathtub. It's filled with rendered bacon grease, and I'm thrilled. Okay, that's just me. Normal people, people with a with a mind, would say, "Hmm, how fat am I, Jeff?" Well, you're you're really fat. Now I speak from experience because there was a time when I was really fat. Again, not like where you're going. Oh, jeez, I I went from a waist size thirty. Two to a 34. Ah, life is over. No, I'm talking about where you start at the far right end of the pants rack, and then you go another mile to get to a pair of pants at your size. That's fat. Nobody's fault except mine. Ate too much, didn't exercise. (laughs) It's puzzling, I know, but that's exactly what happened. Ate too much, didn't exercise. Too many calories in, not enough calories out. So what do I do? I did nothing. I did absolutely, positively nothing. And there did come a point where a friend of mine who was a doctor said to me, I mean, a really subtle guy says, well, listen, uh, I appreciate you. You know, it's good to have you here. I went in for some sort of uh, an exam. I don't even remember what it was. I think it was a, was it a hernia. I, I don't know. Whatever it was, I was there and he fixes me up and then he says something along the lines of, well, you know, have a, have a great day and I don't know, maybe I'll see you at some point. And I thought, well, are, are we breaking up? Do I have to jump on Facebook and change my status with you to it's complicated? My doctor doesn't want to see me anymore. He said, no, no, no. It's just that you're a blank, blank. And he started, well, he used language I can't use with you, but it wasn't really nice. I said, what is wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with me. It's what's wrong with you. What do you mean? So, well, you know, you're going to die. We're all going to die. That's part of living in this whole fallen world thing, right? And I blame Adam. To this day, I hold the grudge. No, I blame Eve. I blame both of them. What the heck? They both messed everything up for us. But he says, you're, you're, you're obese. And you know that you have, you've got a wife, lovely wife. You've got three children, yada, 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 yada. And you don't take care of yourself and you're going to drop dead and you're going to leave them on their own. And so that's why I'm saying to you, I may never see you again. And so be it. Well, that was a wake up call. It was a gigantic slap across my really pudgy, greasy face. Boom! Pay attention to me. Okay. And then I started doing stuff. I, I, I ate less, I exercised more. I get to a point where I'm kind of happy with where I am. I'm healthy, weight-wise. And that's good. 
That's all. That's good. I'm, and I'm not telling anybody else you need to do this or you need to do that. I'm, I'm just saying we have to be honest, right? There's some things that we're supposed to be honest about. Your health ought to be one of them. I came across an article in Newsweek. Oh, let me explain to anybody who is under the age of uh, 50 what Newsweek. Uh, Newsweek used to be a magazine. And what, I should explain what a magazine was. It was printed on paper, like you'd get out of your printer. And then there was a bunch of them, and they'd staple these things together. And when you went to the dentist or the doctor, there would be these things called magazines. So apparently Newsweek still lives. It lives online. And it had a piece, an article by uh, a woman named Kayla Logan. And it's entitled, My Turn, quote, I'm fat, I should not have to buy two seats on a plane. And I thought to myself, well, what if you are so fat that you are taking up two seats on the plane? If you are taking up two seats on the plane, of course you want to pay for two seats on the plane. Kayla Logan says, no, that's not fair to me. Here's part of what she writes. I started to have issues around my body image when I was in elementary school. Throughout my childhood, I was an athlete playing soccer at a high level. So I was in really strong physical shape, but I grew up very impacted by diet culture. My mother was plus-sized, and always wanted to lose weight. So right away, we're into additional names. Well, I'm I'm not fat. I'm plus-sized. What does that mean? It means I'm fat. I just don't want to say I'm fat. Oh, all right. I remember her telling me when I was younger, you never want to end up like me. You never want to be fat. Even her mother said she was fat, but it was... Anyway, it's literally the worst thing you can be, and you will have no life if you are... There was this intense fear of being fat in my family. Uh, During my early adulthood, I gained quite a bit of weight for various reasons. I was on medication for my mental health, which made it harder to lose weight. Chronic back pain due to my degenerative disc disease, which, by the way, is exacerbated and could, in fact, be caused because you're fat. Arthritis, scoliosis, traveling a lot. Okay. Initially, I honestly felt I would rather die than stay fat. My issues with body image continued on until my early 30s, and I actually still struggle with eating disorders now, which I am in treatment for. I'm sure she's a lovely person, a marvelous human being. But given all of the things she's already laid out for us in just the first couple of paragraphs, is this the person we go to for advice on this? After gaining weight, I started dieting and sharing my weight loss progress on my social media accounts. Well, that's something you ought not do. I hate that. Everything on Facebook. Yeah, look at me. I get I get a diamond-encrusted Rolls Royce for my birthday. I'm so much better than you are. Mm, whatever. Which reminds me, I think Facebook may be doing the same thing that Twitter was doing. Remember when Twitter was owned and operated by uh, the, the guy who looked like Rasputin, uh, Jerry, Jim, Jack, Jack, Jack and his band of merry baristas there at Twitter. And they, they just sort of shadow banned everybody and kept you from seeing stuff. And then Elon Musk comes in and changes it. Now the leftists are outraged. I can't believe they're they're engaging in free speech. We can't have that. Somebody dispatch a federal agency to tell them what to do. 
I think Facebook might be doing that. Because on Facebook, I've got this page called The Jeff Cat Show. The Jeff Cat Show on Facebook. And I've been stuck at, I don't know, I think it's 12,000 likes. And it just seems like it never changes. And the same thing like with Twitter. Where people saying, Jeff, I used to like your page. What happened? I don't know. Do me a favor. Let's just do a little experiment. Or I'm going to ask you to do to help me out here. Can you go to Facebook? Remember what Facebook is? It used to be all the rage. Go to Facebook. Look for The Jeff Cat Show on Facebook. The Jeff Cat Show on Facebook. Give it a like. You have to like it, not follow it, right? You have to like the page. And then I'll let you know if they uh, stay, you know, if you're, you like it and then it's there. I appreciate that. Anyway, after gaining weight, I started dieting, sharing my weight loss progress on my social media accounts. Eventually, I started to realize that even when I was thinner, I still didn't like my body. For me, the issue was never really about my weight or size. It was about not loving myself. Okay, that's got nothing to do with your health. You don't love yourself. Okay, that's a mental issue, is it not? So deal with it. Now, here's where she really takes off. So I gave up diet culture and went on a journey of self-love. I think I was on a journey of self-love when I was a teenage boy. That seemed to be my main thought was, and at my thinnest, I was a size four. And now at a size 20 to 22, and the heaviest I have ever been, I love myself more than ever. I don't know exactly how much I weigh at the moment. I, I don't let numbers determine my worth or happiness. I'm okay with the not letting numbers determine whether you're happy or not. But it's the rest of us that you're impacting and affecting. If you honestly don't care about your health, then that's on you. Nothing I can do about it, not my business. But if, in fact, you are occupying two seats on the airplane that is impacting the rest of us. She says in this piece, I travel a lot for work and pleasure. And recently I took a flight from San Diego to Toronto. Well, I don't know. It was written in October, but in December, the last thing you want to do is travel from someplace like San Diego to someplace like Toronto. You know, Toronto is Buffalo with crazy accents and funny colored money. As you extend farther into the plus-sized realm, accessibility can become an issue. So in the last year, I have needed to plan ahead before I travel on planes. I'm going to give you a couple of details on what she's done, why she's done it. But remember what her initial statement is. She's fat. But she shouldn't have to pay for two airplane seats, even if she's occupying two airplane seats. We will talk about it, I promise you that. 1-888-727-BECK, 1-888-727-BECK. Social media? Yes, of course. Twitter? Jeff Cat Joe over on Twitter. On Facebook, if you want to be part of my experiment... We'll see if uh, Facebook allows me to keep new likes. Cause I'm telling you, it just seems like it's just capped at 12,000 or something, which is nothing, right? Glenn has, uh, last count, 18 billion people 
that are uh, liking him on social media. I've got 12,000. I think I actually know no, most of them. But on Facebook, if you don't mind, look for The Jeff Cat Show on Facebook. Give it a like. We'll see if it uh, stays over there. The Jeff Cat Show on Facebook. And then on Twitter, uh, you're looking for uh, The Jeff Cat Show as well. Guess what? It's Jeff Katz in for Glenn. This is the Glenn Beck Program. It's Glenn Beck Program. Jeff Katz in today for Glenn. We are, well, we're analyzing. We're, we're, we're closely examining this wonderful piece in Newsweek. Well, on Newsweek, because I don't even know if there is an in Newsweek anymore, if it's still printed, but on Newsweek, a woman who seems very intelligent. I'm sure she's a nice person, but man, her view of the world is skewed. She writes, as you extend farther into this plus-sized realm, accessibility can become an issue. So in the last year, I have needed to plan ahead before I travel on planes. I get that. What did I tell you? In the interest of full disclosure, total honesty, painfully up close and personal, I was fat years ago. I mean, fat. Remember Buddy Hackett? Buddy Hackett used to talk about his clothing. He'd go into his closet. He'd have fat clothes, fat, fat clothes, and fat, fat, fat clothes. And he would go on a diet, and he would get down to his fat, fat clothes or his fat clothes, but the fat, fat clothes were always calling to him. Come on, buddy, come back over here. So I get it. You've got extra large, extra, extra large, 1X, 2X, 10X. I was like in the uh, RFB category, really flipping big. So when I traveled, you know what I had? You know those little seatbelt things that the uh, flying attendants, stewardesses, waitresses, whatever they are, they hold them up and they click them because they want to show you how to put uh, a seatbelt together, right? Well, you can buy those because they're seatbelt extenders. So you can extend the size of the seatbelt. I had one of those. That's how big I was. So I get what she's saying. Now, here's what she says as she moves on. It's kind of embarrassing, but I usually approach the check-in desk before my flight. I ask whether the plane is full. Is it possible I can have a seat with nobody beside me? Well, good. I do this very kindly, she writes. Oh, she, she's quite enamored of herself. We're back to that whole self-love thing. I am a plus-sized woman, and I know it's uncomfortable for others. If that is an option, could I please have an additional seat? I tell them I need a seatbelt extender as well. I really think about those around me. I, I don't want anybody to be uncomfortable. However, on this flight in particular, it wasn't an option. I have wheelchair access because of my health conditions. Huh. Okay, so I was able to board the plane early, thank goodness. Getting down the aisle when it's full can be very hard for a plus-sized person. It's, it's very narrow, and you don't want to bump into people. I politely asked the flight attendant if I could please have a seatbelt extender. I don't always need them. It depends on the flight. She kindly gave me one while I was waiting for everyone else to board. I was sitting on the very last row, so I could not recline my seat at all. Because I had boarded early, I had less stress and anxiety. However, I was still really fearful because some people, 
here's the payoff, are extremely fat-phobic. Oh, ma'am, I, I, see, a phobia, a phobia is a, is a, what's the word? Irrational, that's the word. It's an irrational fear. If someone is sitting in an airplane seat and you're coming along and they're looking at you and they're looking at them and they're looking at the empty seat, they're doing the math. I don't remember that. Was that like geometry or something? But it's something, right? Because it's size and space and spatial relations and all of that. So they're figuring this out all on their own. They're looking at their seat number, and they're looking at your seat number, and they're looking at you, and they're saying, oh, my gosh, this is not going to work out well. Now, she goes on. I'm not going to read it all to you, but she goes on to blame the airplane carrier, the airline, sitting ordinarily over half of my body was encroaching onto the other passenger's area. Isn't the right thing to do to buy that second seat? I didn't want to upset the other passenger. They had paid for their seat as well. But that's the deal, ma'am. They paid for their seat. And you paid for a seat. They are going to fit into their one seat. You are going to take up half of their seat. You need to buy the second seat. This is not incumbent upon anybody else. This is, this is not about anyone else doing anything that is wrong. It's about you. She talks about how they're trying to cram as many people into the airplane as possible and the seats aren't comfortable and the, and the, the armrests don't go up or they don't come down. It's you. I understand you don't want to pay the extra fare. I get it. But I got news for you. If you're occupying two seats, you got to pony up the extra money because you need to buy two tickets. Jeff in for Glenn. It is the Glenn Beck Program. Glenn Beck program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for my friend Glenn today. 1-888-727-BECK, 1-888-727-BECK. That remains the same. Social media, look for The Jeff Katz Show on Facebook, Twitter, etc., etc., etc. Get her. Looting in Buffalo. If you've been following the, uh, the latest storm of the century, and gosh, we seem to have these, what, every couple of weeks? Weather Channel now names them because it's just more fun. And you know you're in trouble when that uh, Jim Cantori shows up in your town. Honest to goodness, if you see Jim Cantori coming down the street, run. 
because somewhere behind him, in all likelihood, four guys on a horseback are coming right behind him. So Buffalo got six feet of snow, eight feet, whatever, a huge amount of snow in one day. Paralyzed the city for a little bit. People could not get to Buffalo. And most of us are thinking, is that really a problem? You're not able to get to Buffalo. Now, the problem, of course, is you can't get out of Buffalo. That's the problem for a lot of people. I saw a video of people looting in Buffalo. And I do have it posted. I shared it on social media. If you haven't seen it yet, it's really fascinating. And it's it's, it's an example of the, the pure depravity in which we find ourselves living. As I looked at the, the looting, I tried to put myself in, in, in the boots of these folks. I hate cold. I hate snow. I hate ice. Hate it with passion. I grew up in Philadelphia where it snowed every winter. It was a guarantee, and I never liked it. I marry into a New England family. And while I may love my wife, I do. No, I seriously do. I said it out loud. It's got to be true. It's true. I love her, would do just about anything for her. That, by the way, gentlemen, changes. See, when you're first married, it's, oh, I would do anything for you. When you're married a while, I think in our case, 107, 108 years, you say, well, I would do just about anything for you. Not anything. No, I, I've, I've revised that now downward like they do with the with the employment numbers and the economy. You know, it's always revised downward after a period of time. Oh, remember, we said we created eight billion jobs. It was actually 16, 16 billion. No, 16 actual jobs. 16 teenagers went to the Burger King and now they're working. So I revised that down. There's some things I just won't do. I marry into this New England family. And I spend the better part of a decade working in Boston. Oh, it's a great place and they're great people, but the weather stinks. There's no nice way to say it, so I'll just share it with you. I hate snow and I hate ice, so I hated every every part of the winter experience. So I see these folks in Buffalo, and I'm thinking, man, I've been there. I know what it's like to be snowed in. I know what it's like to have ice-covered roads. But these folks were really resourceful. They somehow got out of their houses, and they made their way to the local stores. The stores apparently were not open, but that did not actually stop these folks from shopping. The normal posted hours were apparently no longer in effect because of the blizzard. But these folks needed things. I saw one image of one guy after he went, we don't want to call it looting because looting is, well, it has an ugly connotation. How about if we say, again, unscheduled shopping? You know, like an illegal alien is no longer an illegal alien. They're, they're an unexpected guest. So these folks participated in unscheduled shopping. And the first guy I saw was carrying a package of toilet paper. I don't condone anyone anywhere at any time breaking into a store. I don't support the idea that anyone, any place, at any time should be stealing somebody else's stuff. But if you are in a blizzard 
and you see the store door is open and what you need in your home is toilet paper, I am almost willing to cut you that slack. I I really am. I'm at the point where I'm saying, I hope you left a couple of bucks on the counter. Please tell me you didn't break the door. Please tell me that you just, you went searching for this. You've got a family at home. You've got no TP, six feet of snow on the ground. And you found a store that was open. Again, not scheduled to be open, but somebody had opened it. A, um, an un documented store manager, we'll call them. Because that sounds so much better than burglar or somebody who did a break-in. And you say, I need a pack of toilet paper. And you take it. And you leave. And that's all that this guy had. I thought, all right. A little bit of slack. But then I, gosh, I looked at the other folks on the video. This is where it got really interesting. I don't know exactly how a large screen television set is really the most important thing to have during the blizzard. But apparently it was because a number of folks who had liberated television sets and all sorts of clothing and all sorts of other things that just didn't belong to them. But by God, they were going to take them and they did. And the smiles on the faces That's what was so painful to watch. The explanations. Well, the stores are all insured. It's no great loss for them. These are people who don't understand what insurance terms is called the law of large numbers. The law of large numbers says if we get enough people together and we pool our risk, because that's what insurance is. If it's just you and you're saying, man, I hope I don't get in an accident, hope I don't get in an accident, hope I don't get in an accident, boom, I get in an accident, and now it's all on me and I don't have the money. Now I am totally, totally out of luck. But now it's 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, 100,000 people, a million people. Chances are somebody is going to get into an accident. But the law of large numbers says most people, the vast majority of people, will not. And therefore, you're collecting those premiums and you're using those premiums in that terrible situation when somebody does get into the accident. It's the same thing for stores. It is not an accepted practice to steal from the store. Yes, the store owner has some sort of insurance. Absolutely. But you're stealing their stuff. And if you really are so flippin' stupid that you don't understand the relationship between your theft of merchandise and the increase in cost down the line, then you truly are an idiot. And I don't know that there's much I can, I can do for you. One of the ugly parts of this, there comes a point, and we've seen it, San Francisco as an example. San Francisco where... It became lawless. You had a district attorney in San Francisco, it was a Chesa Bowden, decided, I'm not prosecuting anybody for anything. You just take what you want. And that's what people did. You've seen the videos, have you not? Videos of people going into Target stores, Walmarts, whatever. Just walking in, grabbing an entire shelf and wheeling it out. And nobody does anything. Then those stores looked at the numbers and said, holy moly. 
You know how much we lost in our stores in San Francisco? Billions of blanket. We're just closing them down. And they closed them down. Then all of a sudden, the the retail merchants were the bad people. Oh, you're not serving our community. Well, the store in your community was the victim of 10, 12, 30 million dollars worth of merchandise stolen in the last year. No, we're not going to serve your community anymore. And now that merchant becomes the bad person. And that's what's going to happen with these, these Buffalo stores. I'm telling you as sure as I am sitting here. That at some point, the people who own and operate those stores or the companies that have placed those stores in those areas are going to say, we can't afford to do that anymore. And I am willing to bet that some of the very people who broke into those stores, who stole that stuff, will stand up in six months, nine months, a year from now when the store closes and decry the owner, accuse them of some terrible animus or personal bias. If you've not seen those videos, I've got them posted, and, and by all means, take a look at them. I also came across something I have to share with you. In Glenn's daily email, and if you're not signed up for that, my gosh, shame on you. Go to glennbeck.com, glennbeck.com, sign up for the uh, the daily blast. Great stuff. It's always great stuff. It's, it's never that, oh, look, he just decided to send something stupid thing. It's always great stuff. And, and there's, there's one particular piece that I saw today that I'm going to share with you about the New York Post, about the FBI, about Twitter. Ugly, ugly situation. You want to uh, touch base? Love to hear from you. On Twitter, The Jeff Cat Show. On Facebook, The Jeff Cat Show. Same thing over on Getter. Feel free to uh, touch base in any of those ways. Jeff at TheJeffCatShow.com if you want to shoot me an email. It is Jeff Katz in today for Glenn. It is the Glenn Beck Program. Glenn Beck. Join the conversation. 888-727-BECK. It's the Glenn Beck Program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for my friend Glenn today. From glennbeck.com, I got a uh, an email. It's not just me. You can sign up, and you should sign up at glennbeck.com. But I got this wonderful piece that uh, Glenn sent out. It's an article by uh, Katerina Bradford. And she talks about this, this terrible mingling of Twitter in the FBI. In the interest of full disclosure, I have so many friends who are either active or retired FBI special agents. I am pro-FBI. I'm pro-law enforcement. Gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm an ex-cop out of Philadelphia. I bleed blue. But when I hear about these allegations that the FBI directed Twitter to dismiss certain pieces of information, guided Twitter into labeling certain things as misinformation, Russian misinformation, disinformation. I'm troubled, and Katerina Bradford does a wonderful job here. She says, the press doing the bidding of the government is what they had in Soviet Russia, or what they have in China and North Korea today. 
Without a free and independent press, you can't have a free and independent civilization. That's Katerina Bradford starting her piece with one of Glenn's quotes. Glenn has, thank God, been examining the Twitter files. You and I have heard from the left, the very people who are responsible for what happened, telling us there's nothing to see here, just move along. These are people telling you, telling me, you you just, you, you don't need to know. I beg to differ, I definitely need to know. I look at who I am and where I am and what I am. They always like to couch things in political terms. Well, you're just a you're, you're a Republican. You're one of those guys. No, I'm really not. If you were to ask me, Jeff, who are you? What are you? At the top of the list, the very top of the list, number one, I am a child of God. <gasps> oh, you said the G word. Darn right I did. So that's number one on the list. I am a child of God. Number two, I'm... I'm a husband. Number three, I'm a father. Number four, I'm an American. Number five, well, I don't know. I guess conservative. If I had, if you were saying to me, yep, you got to describe your your thought process. All right, I guess conservative. I'm right of center. And yet, I I don't really worry all that much about other people's business, you know. But I need to know what's going on. I have a right to know. And any government interference in that is simply wrong. If you haven't read this piece by Katerina Bradford, please do it. Go to glennbeck.com. While you're there, sign up to get uh, Glenn's daily emails. It's just great, great stuff. I should tell you as we speak, I think about the Things I would do for the bride. TV is one of those things. But not a lot. See, yesterday on Peacock, woo, the Ric Flair story dropped. And that's all I wanted to watch. The bride, however, has now become enamored of something called Alone. It's on the History Channel. Alone. It's a bunch of crazy people out in the woods in the wilderness in Alaska. And they do amazing things like they, they pluck one hair out of their head. They, they spin it into a web. And the next thing you know, they've built a catamaran and they're feeding everybody. I don't want to watch that. I feel that I've made my, my major effort when I've stood 10 minutes in a line at Target. Jeff Katz Show on uh, Twitter and on Facebook. It's Jeff Katz in for Glenn. It is the Glenn Beck Program.
about to hear is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Is it even possible to have a nation without a border? Inside in 60 seconds. Glenn Beck program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for my friend Glenn. You saw the images, did you not? Three busloads of illegal aliens dropped off at the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C. That's where the vice president lives, the official residence of the vice president. So Vice President Kamala Harris had some eh, unexpected guests. The left is telling us this is just brutal and vicious and ugly. How dare you do this? It's all directed at Texas Governor Greg Abbott. And I guess part of it a couple of months ago directed at Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Isn't it more brutal and ugly and unfair to say all the gates are open. Everybody come in. Just jump into the pool. Now, we don't have any lifeguards on duty, but just jump into the pool. And if you can't swim, it's okay because, well, something will happen. I mean, that's the analogy. There's no control here. I'm not telling you that you, you, you stand up and say, we don't ever want anybody new to come into the United States of America. That is not how we operate. And we are essentially a nation of immigrants. Totally understand that. If you're of a certain age, you can identify when your family came to the United States of America. In most cases, not all, but in most cases. And so we embrace that. But at the moment, it seems as if we just, we don't even have a border anymore. And so what happens? How many people are are here? How many people are here illegally? Where are they? What are they doing? I don't know. Tony Pham is... A friend, Tony Pham and his family with PH, uh, are the embodiment of the American dream. Oh, and Tony Pham was also President Trump's ICE director. A couple of little details you need to know, and I'm happy to say Tony is joining us. Tony, welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yes, sir. Yeah, the, uh, the pleasure is mine. You have spent so much time on the border or at what I guess technically is the border because it seems as if uh, it's not being secured anymore. What, what exactly is going on these days down there? Jeff, let me say this. It's unfortunate. Uh, I've been to the border in my official capacity as the acting director and even in my capacity as a civilian, believe it or not, more times than our president and our vice president has. And so that should already tell you some of the, the disdain that I think this administration has about securing our southern border. Um, what's happening right now is just a massive, colossal uh, humanitarian crisis, epic proportions created by the poor policies that are being implemented by the Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, given free, uh, free reign and discretion by the administration. Um, to claim that this border is secure when, in fact, the data itself has indicated and shown that our border is anything but secure. I'll remind folks that back in 2020, our border apprehensions were only at 646,000 apprehensions. The first year of the Biden administration, uh, 2021, 
voter apprehension skyrocketed to 1.7 million. And then most recently in 2022, we're at 2.3 million. So there's, some, there's a policy in place. There's a statement or whether overt or subconscious uh, to a lot of these folks that our border is open with this administration because of their lack of enforcement posture. Um, and it's time to come to the southern border and try to cross over while they can um, because the border is open, contrary to what um, this administration is trying to tell the American people. And so it's very disheartening to see these images of hundreds, if not thousands, of individuals sleeping in the streets of El Paso. Yeah. And you mentioned on the top of your segment, forgive me, Jeff, that um, the left is claiming uh, how in- inhumane this treatment is to drop busloads in front of the vice president's house. But they failed to say anything about the mayor of El Paso purposely busing people into the interior of the United States just so he could free up some space in the city, and that's a Democrat city. Right. And they haven't said anything. Or the secret migrant flights that this administration has been doing for months flying um, illegal aliens into the interior of the United States. So they pick and choose their outrage, which is just hypocritical, in my opinion. And Tony, as uh this administration, again, attacks conservatives. Conservatives are the evil people here, terrible, terrible people. Republicans, just just awful folks. Uh, Henry Cuellar, a Democrat, member of Congress, longtime member of Congress from Texas, he is standing up. He's getting a lot of pushback from the Biden team because Congressman Cuellar is saying, no, the, the border is not secured and stop lying to people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And let's, let's remind the listeners, this border issue is a national security issue. Yeah. And this national security issue should never be a partisan matter for folks to use uh, against one another. Uh, you know, when these, I can't, when I was in service uh, in the administration, I could not emphasize enough how securing our border was the first step in preserving our national security. We all know why the U.S. Department of Homeland Security was formed, and it was formed in the wake of the terrible, horrendous September 11th terrorist attacks. But, you know, 20-some years later, we forget that. And we begin to to fail to remember that those individuals exploited our immigration pathways to to commit one of the worst terrorist attacks, if not the worst terrorist attacks, on U.S. soil. And so I don't understand where we as an administration this administration has pivoted their lack of enforcement in securing our border uh, because, and, and, and failing to see how their inaction or, or their proactive action in peeling back some of the, the policies that the Trump administration put in place that helped stem the migration um, is, is not playing into weakening our national security footprint, Jeff. I just don't understand where they see this. I don't understand it either. Tony Pham is joining us. Uh, Tony was President Trump's ICE director. And uh, I asked this question, Tony, and, 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 and some are, are, are thinking it's hi- hyperbolic, but I, I'm sincere in this, Tony. Can we have a nation if we don't have a border? No, no, we can't. And that's, that's inherent in in every single nation, not just the United States. Every nation has to enforce its borders to in, ensure its own sovereignty. Um, and, you know, I, I, I hear a lot of folks talk about wanting to be very compassionate. The United States is one of the most generous nations on this planet when it comes to granting immigration relief. 
The mm-hmm. only issue is how do we expect people to avail themselves of that relief? It's not crossing over the Rio Grande River in the dark of night trying to evade apprehension or detection. If you have a bona fide claim for asylum, like so many people do uh, claim they do when they're apprehended, show up to a land board port of entry, land bridge port of entry. Right. Surrender yourself for inspection mm-hmm. and then make and lay your claim for asylum. You know, we, if I tell you, you, you mentioned at the top of your segment, um, if we don't have a process, then what do we tell about all of those Afghan refugees who are still stuck across seas and their refugee camps waiting for proper vetting and process? These are allies who help the United States military. Right. What do we tell them? Yeah. That uh, just, just try to figure out a way to get to the southern border. If you're able to sneak across, we'll catch and release you into the interior, and then you're free to go. But if you go the right way, which is the refugee path, then we'll, we'll have to keep you over there uh, in a foreign country while you wait for proper uh, vetting and sponsorship. That, that's the, that's the, the mission. I think that's the message and issue that a lot of people are forgetting. Tony, there, there is, there is, in fact, is a young man, uh, probably one of your neighbors in Henrico County, Virginia, who is in that situation. He, he's being told, listen, uh, your, your visa or whatever it is expires in six months. He's lived here fundamentally his entire life. He's made all of the applications. He's done what he's supposed to do, and he has other family members, including a disabled brother. He, he takes care of, and. He is jumping through all these hoops, and he's terrified now. Am I going to be able to graduate uh, from high school? Am, am I am I going to go back to uh, the country that uh, Jordan? I think it's Jordan that theoretically I'm from, although I've never really been there. When he looks at the television set and says, "Man, all I got to do is get to Mexico, sneak back in, and I'm I'm good to go." It, it's it's shameful. Jeff, you hit the nail on the head. I, I, my heart bleeds for that young man. I mean, really, we make it when when you hear politicians talk about our immigration system being broken. It's not the enforcement section of the uh, unlawful entry portion or illegal immigration that's broken. Right. Right. My experience, having been both the principal legal advisor uh, for ICE as well, then the active director, what's broken is our pathways to normalize immigration uh, status for those who followed the lawful pathway to get here. My family and I waited for 10 years. When we came to this country in 75 as refugees, we went through all the processes. We paid all the fees. We, we did what we ne- needed to do. And in 10 years, we were granted naturalized citizenship and, and, and permanency here in the United States. It's that young man you just mentioned. And that, he's not the only story, Jeff. When I was in service, I, I got phone call after phone call after phone call of so many people who were, who were stuck in this environment where they were potentially awaiting uh, renewal of their visa, right. trying to normalize their status. But there was delay after delay after delay. And these are the individuals who are professionals that we want to hear in the United States as immigrants who went the right way to get here. Yep. But yet, on the other hand... We're seeing this administration allowing thousands upon thousands of individuals entry into this country. And I, I, I will point this one little nugget because I think you and I should probably talk about this within the next six months. With all these individuals who are being permitted to the United States illegally, yeah. no one's asked a question about the court docket, right? There's mm. a Title VIII court system because as a principal legal advisor, I tracked all the numbers. I was always trying to stay on top of how many people will we, how many cases will we be able to get to hearing, not close administratively, Jeff. There's a mm-hmm. huge difference and we should talk about that. Yeah. 
Yeah. How many hearings can we get before the judges so the, the immigrant can have their day in court and allow the judge to make the determination of whether this individual has a bona fide claim for asylum or not, right, or should be removed? When you allow this many people into the United States under the Title VIII pathway, it is a massive burden on the immigration uh, court system that we already have here now. I'm curious to see within the next, in 2023, mm-hmm. someone, uh, congressional oversight should ask this question, how many cases have ICE administratively closed without hearing right. under the prosecutorial discretion memo that was issued by the current PLA? That's a great and, point, uh, Tony. I, I, I'm going to have to break it there. I appreciate you being with us. Uh, we will chat again for sure. That is Tony Pham. Tony served as the principal legal advisor. He served as the director of ICE. He is concerned, to put it mildly, about this unsecured border. It is Jeff Katz in for Glenn Beck. It is the Glenn Beck Program. It's the Glenn Beck Program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for my friend Glenn. By the way, I get all of my footwear advice from Glenn. I kid you not. I am, as we speak, wearing my Tacovas boots, one of my two pairs of Tacovas. Uh, I bought them both for myself because I just didn't want to wait for anybody else in my family to do it and do it properly. And number two, before I came out here to work, I was inside in the house wearing my slippers from Mike Lindell. I'm telling you, best stuff you are ever going to put on your feet. Facebook is or is not doing stuff that it maybe should or should not do. I I can't quite figure it out. Now, they used to have the like button. Now, everybody has said, wait a minute, Jeff, you, you said to please go and like your page, The Jeff Katz Show on Facebook. And I have to spell Katz, apparently, K-A-T-Z. Jeff, there's no like button. It's just a follow button. I don't know if that's a thing or not, if that's it's something that Facebook is doing to say, hey, we don't want people paying attention, or they just changed it. I'm not quite a Luddite, but eh. either way, if you go to Facebook and you look for The Jeff Cat Show, would you give it a like or give it a follow, whichever one is available to you? I just want to see if the numbers uh, do anything. And then over on Twitter, it's The Jeff Cat Show. I told you I hate the cold. I hate the snow. I hate the ice. The, the highlight of the blizzard conditions we've seen across America the last couple of days comes from Iowa. There, there's a television sportscaster there who apparently got pressed into service uh, to do one of the, the stand-ups, you know, where the guys go out or the gals go out and they've got their station jacket on so you see which station they are and they're, they're holding a microphone and they go, ah, oh, you know, Biff, it's terrible out here. It's 18 feet of snow and it's minus 106 degrees and my toes are freezing, but I am happy to be here. Sports guy in Iowa, not happy to be there. Let's take a listen. Mark, how are you feeling out there? Uh, again, uh, the same way I felt about eight minutes ago when you asked me that same question, right? I normally do sports. Uh, everything is canceled here for the next couple of days. So what better time to ask the sports guy to come in about five hours normally uh, earlier than he would normally wake up, go stand out in the wind and the snow and the cold and tell other people not to do the same. I didn't even realize that there was a 3.30 also in the morning. Uh, until today. It's absolutely uh, fantastic, Ryan. You know, I, I'm used to these evening shows that are only 30 minutes long, and generally on those shows, I'm 
inside. So uh, this is a really long show. Tune in for the next couple hours to watch me progressively get crankier and crankier. How do I get that uh, Storm Chaser 7 duty? I, I feel like Clint got the uh, better end of that deal. You know, that thing's heated. Um, the outdoors currently is not heated. Well, I'll tell you what, Ryan, I've, I've got good news and, and I've got bad news. The, the good news is that I can still feel my face right now. The bad news is I kind of wish I couldn't. Can I go back? To my regular job I, i'm pretty sure ryan that you guys added an extra hour to this show just because somebody likes torturing me because compared to two and a half hours ago it is just getting colder and colder live in waterloo for the last time this morning thankfully i'm mark woodley new seven kwwl <laughs> i love the guy i really do one of the few honest people in the uh, the local news arena I hate it. It's cold out here. I'm miserable. You people stink. I uh, I should be talking about sports. That's what I do is I talk about sports. Where do you think he goes now? Does he get a promotion at the uh, television station he's with today? Or does somebody else call him and say, you know, <laughs> you're really funny. Oh, you're cranky as all get out. You really don't seem like... Uh, a pleasant guy to be around, at least during this situation. But man, we really appreciate what you said. It reminds me of the the TV news people who go out after a fire. And it's the same anywhere you are. There's a terrible fire. People have lost everything. The family has lost every single belonging. And it's either around Thanksgiving or Christmas. Well, we had a we had a frayed wire surrounding a tree that was dead and we stuck it in a bucket of water. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, your house caught on fire. You lost everything. How do you feel? Oh, do you really want to answer that question? Do you need an answer to that question? How do you feel? Well, I feel as if I've lost everything and you're a nitwit for asking me the question. That's this guy, right? It's the same as I was eight minutes ago, Biff. It's cold out here. It's snowy out here. It's icy out here. And you are sitting in the studio, warm and toasty with fresh baked pastries and a steaming hot cup of coffee. I hate you with a passion. It's Jeff Katz in for Glenn. It is the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program. It is the Glenn Beck Program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for my friend Glenn. Uh, K-A-T-Z, I can't tell you how many folks say, Jeff, you got to spell your last name. All right, there you go. K-A-T-Z, normally on uh, News Radio WRBA in Central Virginia. Beautiful Central Virginia. I used to look at Canada and think, huh, kind of a neat place. Canada always struck me as, as our attic. You know, every once in a while you go up there and you look around and say, wow, there's all kinds of neat stuff I forgot about. 
Uh, there's the uh, toy that I had as a little kid. Oh, that's so cute. I'm going to give it to my kid. But I'm not just going to give it to him. I'm going to wrap it up first and pretend it's a real gift. And then we, we scratch uh, we scratch a night off a of Hanukkah. My dad used to do that. Uh, not because he was a mean person, but because we were poor. We, no, we really were. We were poor. And he would get us gifts. My mom and dad would get us gifts for Hanukkah, eight nights in Hanukkah. All my other pals were getting a gift every night. My dad would always figure out a way to disassemble the gift. So we would get a piece every night. And then on the eighth night, we get the final piece. And I'd be like, yeah, there you go. Happy Hanukkah. <sighs> Thanks so much. Canada, like your attic, though, right? Every once in a while, you go up there and you look around and say, wow, this is really cool. I forgot about all of this. Heidi and I used to be in Montreal all the time. In fact, I should tell you this. When Barack Obama was president, I know, I didn't mean to say that out loud, but there you go. Remember when Barack Obama, no, the first time, not now, because if you look at Joe Biden now, you do see Barack Obama off to the side, right? Like like the wizard in The Wizard of Oz. He's pushing the buttons and pulling the strings, and, and Joe Biden is just sort of like a giant presidential meat puppet, and he kind of sort of moves, and, and his, his lips sometimes say the words he's supposed to say. And anyway, first time Barack Obama is president, Heidi and I said to each other, I, I, I don't know if we want to live in the United States of America right now. It's a horrible thing to say. Because I love my country. I'm proud to be an American. I love everything about my country. But boy, I, I just, I, I had such, such a vision of what could happen. And sadly, in many cases, did happen. And Heidi and I were much younger then. And we loved Montreal. And, and, and real estate prices in Quebec were dirt cheap. Honest to goodness. It was just nothing. We said, okay. Let's move to Montreal. How cool would this be? And we started. I started calling whatever the Canadian Immigration Service is, explaining to them, well, I, I'm a talk show host. I'm not going to take a job away from anybody here. Uh, my, my show's not going to be here in, in Quebec. It'll, it'll be back in, in Boston. And, and, and I just have the equipment here. And... I speak a little French. My wife uh, speaks French. My my oldest boy at that time was learning French. We were really set. And they're like, oh my gosh, Mr. Katz. That's wonderful. Oh, we'd love to have you. How much money do you have in the bank? And we told him, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. Okay. And then I shared with them the story about my daughter. Because they asked about the children. I said, well, my oldest boy was in whatever grade he was in. And he was already learning French. And my youngest boy eh, didn't really know much about anything because he was a tiny little guy. But if he had the same language talents that his mom and his, his older brother have, he, he would be good. Oh, great. And your daughter? I said, well, no, she does, she's not going to speak French. Why is she not going to speak French? Well, because she doesn't speak English either. What? So she doesn't speak. Oh, why is that? And this guy who had been so friendly and helpful and hopeful, and I had spoken to these folks for, it seemed like weeks or months, because we were really going to do it. We were going to buy a place. It was, I think it was like 60 miles south of Montreal, a farm sort of thing. And we we're going to put the, the technology at that time, it was called ISDN, put that in there so I could do my show. 
transfer money into a Canadian bank, the whole thing. I had talked to moving companies about how much it would cost to move from Boston to Quebec. We were serious about it. And then he asked for a little more information about Julia. And I, I gave it to him. So, well, she's, she's severely disabled, but it's not a health sort of a thing. She's really a sturdy, tough little girl, but she's never going to be advanced chronologically past where she is. And, and that's the case now. I mean, here she is 19 years old. Develop uh, chronologically rather, but developmentally, eighteen months old. So I explained that to him, and, he's, and his entire to- tone changed. Well, uh, you'll you'll never be able to come here. Why? Well, we the healthcare system. So I thought you guys were all about free healthcare for everybody. Well, yeah, but your daughter might use more resources. I switch, it's not a health. It doesn't matter. That was it. The conversation was over. You will never, ever, ever get a landed immigrant permit. You will never be able to live here. Never, ever, ever. So that was it. It was over. So I know the Canadian system and the people who are in the Canadian system are not nearly as as likable as you would think. We've seen it with Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of the Lucky Sperm Club, as he cracked down on truckers. I saw it not too long ago, and then I'm going to share with you what these folks did with Mrs. Claus. Oh, shameful. We'll do that in a moment. But I used to love listening to the big talk radio station out of Montreal. And they have a trivia show that's run for 40 years, 50 years. It's been on there forever with a variety of hosts. And every Sunday morning from 9 until noon was my time. I'd say to Heidi, no, I'm... I'm sitting down here with the trivia show and I have this big steaming cup of coffee and it was just so much fun. And then I'm looking at social media one day and one of the guys on there is talking about how much he hates America. And then there's another tweet about how much he hates America and then a third tweet about how much he hates America. And as much as I love that show and I did, I stopped listening. I couldn't listen anymore. I just wasn't going to be part of something that involved somebody who would say, I hate America. Because at least for me, I, I would never say that. I would never say, I hate Canada. Because by extension, you would say you hate Canadians. So somebody who says, I hate America, I think by extension says they, they hate Americans. Take a listen to the the big medical poobah in Canada and this twisted conversation that occurred right before Christmas with Mrs. Claus. Well, kids, I'm just doing my yearly call to the North Pole for Santa's holiday health check. (laughs) Why, hello, Dr. Tam. Mrs. Claus, so good to see you again. Where did Santa go? Oh, Santa was late for snow yoga with the elves and reindeer. He says it's great cross-training for sleigh driving. Sounds fun. Are you all set for the holiday season? Of course. I, I must say, Dr. Tam, it just warms my heart to see everyone in Canada, especially kids, working so hard to keep the holidays safe and cheerful for all. So am I, Mrs. Claus. 
Every child in Canada has definitely earned a place on the nice list. Their parents and caregivers too. It's been a tough season with lots of viruses making people sick. Thankfully, Santa and I are feeling as healthy as ever. We are both up to date with our vaccinations, including COVID boosters and flu shots. That's so good to hear. I always tell Santa to make a list and check it twice. One, stay up to date on your vaccinations. Two, wear a mask in crowded indoor places and make sure it fits nice and snug. Three, wash your hands to the tune of jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Great advice. Great voice too. Also, you can be sure to stay at home if you're feeling sick. And if you're gathering indoors with other people or elves, open a door or a window with for a few minutes at a time to let in some fresh air. The more items you check off the list, the more protected you are. Yes, you can think of it like decorating a tree. You need tinsel, lights, ornaments, and the star on top. The tree is at its best when all the decorations are up and nicely layered. Thanks, Mrs. Claus. Happy holidays, everyone. Really? No. No, no, no. En français, no. No, I'm not wearing a mask again. Thank you for asking, Mrs. Claus. No. Unless it's Halloween or I am unexpectedly called in to surgery, uh, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm done. Thank you very much. And this is the weird part for me. I've never been thrilled about germs. I'm not quite a germaphobe, but man, I have always had two giant bottles of Purell on my desk. But the more we learn, about COVID, and the more we are seeing now with COVID theater, the less impressed I am with the information coming from my federal government or the Canadian government or anybody's government. We'll talk a little bit about that because it is getting, well, it's getting to a point where now hearing more people, more people as the, as the left is concerned. And that's what this is. It's all science, right? We were supposed to follow the science. We just didn't know it was political science that was being followed. I'll give you a few details on that in a moment. Now, social media, I, I'm going to spell it for you because people asked, you know, my neighborhood, it's a common spelling, but not everywhere. K-A-T-Z. So on Twitter, please give a uh, follow to The Jeff Cat Show over on Twitter. The Jeff Cat Show on Twitter. It's same thing on Getter and on Facebook. If you give it a follow, I'd appreciate it. The Jeff Katz Show. It is Jeff Katz in for Glenn. It is the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program. Glenn Beck program, Jeff Katz. Happy to be sitting in for my friend Glenn. Not knocking Canadians, I promise you. Just little put off by involving Mrs. Claus in this. Well, everybody's got to get uh, vaccinated and vaccinated again, and then three more vaccinations and uh, 12 masks. You're going to have to wear 12 masks and, and a pair of boots and muckla. I mean, come on, give it a break. At some point, I think you have to make your own decisions on living life over in England. Remember them? They just announced they will no longer be providing COVID details. 
What does it mean? It means, as they've said, well, we have to live with COVID. You'll have to make a decision as to whether you should go out or what you should do. In other words, they're going to treat people like adults. Wow. Uh, There's somebody who is a big-time medical expert on CNN. I want you to take a listen to her advice to, well, the unvaccinated and how miserable your life should be. I think this really depends on what it is that we do at this point. So now we have this Delta variant that is much more contagious. Because it's more contagious, it's going to be even harder for us to reach herd immunity. We're going to have to vaccinate an even higher proportion of people to get there. What happens then if we end up having another variant developing that's even more contagious, that could cause more disease, that could evade the protection of our immune system? And so how quickly we get this under control and which way we go depends on what we do now now when it comes to vaccination, to overcoming disinformation. And what we really need to do at this point is to make vaccination the easy choice. It needs to be hard for people to remain unvaccinated. Right now, it's kind of the opposite. It's fine. I mean, it's easy if you're unvaccinated. You can do everything you want to do anyway. But at some point, these mandates by workplaces, by schools, I think it will be important to say, hey, you can opt out. But if you want to opt out, you have to sign these forms. You have to get twice weekly testing. Basically, we need to make getting vaccinated the easy choice that is what it's going to take for us to actually end the pandemic oh is that what it is because they did that and what's happened well anytime you dare to raise your hand and say excuse me is this working how dare you spread disinformation or misinformation i'm just asking by the way that lady there the cnn medical analyst she just now has said oh actually In retrospect, what we've learned is that natural immunity seems to be more effective than the vaccine. That's what a lot of people said from the very beginning. I understand there was there was a frenzy. There was a hysteria. There really was. And there were people who were thinking, my gosh, this is the end of civilization. We're all going to die. It's it's like the zombie apocalypse and a meteor hit the planet. It's all over. I looked at my son. My really brilliant son who's a student at Stanford. It's amazing. It's the first time in in, in an hour I've mentioned that. I try and work it into every conversation, but he's a Stanford guy. He was of the opinion we all needed to wear masks and and those big bubble suits like the Michelin man and, and, and hide under our beds. And I didn't. And he was angry. Oh, he was livid with me. How dare you do this? You know, you're going to endanger. Listen, Harry, I love you. I do. And I I respect the fact that you are far smarter at age 21 than I will ever be. I mean, he really is. He's a brilliant guy. I said, but I've lived through all of these other end of the world things. Ebola, bird flu, swine flu, the new flu. And I'm still here and kicking. It's Jeff Katz in for Glenn. It is the Glenn Beck Program.
to hear is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. How close are we to getting arrested for thought crimes? (laughs) Closer than you thought. Details in 60 seconds. Glenn Beck program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for Glenn today, normally on News Radio WRBA in Central Virginia. You and I are of the opinion that we we can say just about anything we want to, right? We have freedom of speech. We can't have the government stepping in and saying, we don't like what you're saying, so you can't say it. Get the government interacting with the big tech social media. That's a First Amendment issue, right? That's free speech. You can always think what you want, though. I've always thought that. I've always said that. E- even if you even if you have crazy thoughts, even if your thoughts are ugly and mean and, and just just despicable, it's your mind. It's your it's inside your head. You can think whatever you want. I've got news for you. That may not be the case anymore. Glenn has spoken extensively about the Great Reset. One of his books about the Great Reset. Every day as you listen to Glenn or you're availing yourself of theblaze.com or glennbeck.com and you're learning more about this Great Reset, right? You won't own anything and you'll be happy about it. Well, how do you get happy about that? Is it simply generational? Or is there a reset of your thought process? Because I personally am not happy thinking that I won't own anything again. I've worked my entire life to own a few things. I grew up in Philadelphia, a section called Oxford Circle. We're all working people there. Blue-collar neighborhood. And we had on the street, I think it was 50 houses, 25 or 35, somewhere around that, on each side of the street. So nobody had windows on all four sides. If you were on an end unit, you had windows on three sides. My view as a child, until I was 18 plus years old and my my parents eventually picked up and moved, my view out of my window was an alley with trash cans. And I've never forgotten that. And that has been a tremendous motivating factor for me to say, I want to do more for my kids. I I want them to, to have a view out of their window that is not an alley with trash cans. I want them to look out their window and see trees and grass. I sit here right now in what I call the plaque shack where all my stuff is. Heidi won't let any of my stuff in the big house. She just won't. Yeah, here's another box of your stuff. Take it out to your office. Okay. I don't have any, I don't, I'm just going to say, I don't have any wall space left. These are, these are, as I describe it, my, uh, my walls of low self-esteem and insecurity, right? Million different plaques and certificates. Jeff, you're great. I need them because I'm, well, I need them. But as I look out the window, 
the official weather window, which doubles as the, seriously, you're looking out this window at these things and you still don't believe in God? Huh, that's weird. Because I look out this window and I see trees and grass. I don't see any trash cans. I don't see an alleyway. I am reminded of my personal faith that says, God made all this stuff and you're you're temporary custodian of it. And this home, I mean, the bank and I, the credit union and I are in it together, but we own it. And I'm happy that we own it. I'm proud of the fact that we own it. Those are all thoughts. What about offering a prayer? Now, sometimes you're in a communal setting. You might be at church, you might be at synagogue, and there are communal prayers which are said. They're said out loud. Everybody hears. Everybody's participating. What if you're at home? Sometimes people say prayers out loud, and sometimes they're simply their thoughts. You think. As you look out the window and say, thank you, God. Appreciate this. Thank you so much. But it's, it's strictly in your head. You're allowed to do that, right? That's a thought. You can't be arrested for thinking something. You can't even be arrested for thinking something terrible, right? Well, I would ask you to take a listen to something that just happened over in Great Britain. And it is, it is chilling. Let's take a listen to that, please. Before I ask you any questions about what's going on today, I have to caution you, which is just your rights, which is you do not have to say anything. It may harm your defence if you do not mention one question. Something that you later on in court, anything you do say may be given you. Uh, what, what are you here for today? Uh, physically, I'm just standing here. Okay. Why, why here of all places? I know you, you don't live nearby. But this is an abortion centre. Okay, that's what I just did. Is, is you standing here part of the protest? No. I'm not are you, protesting. Are you, are you praying? I might be praying in my head. Um, so I'll ask you once more, will you voluntarily come with us now to the police station for me to ask you some questions about today and other days where there are allegations that you've broken public spaces protection? Um, if I've got a choice, then no. Okay, well then you're under arrest. I can't suspicion of failing to comply with the public spaces protection order, which is under the uh, Antisocial Behaviour Crime and Policing Act 2014. Now, of course, you again, you do not have to say anything. It may harm your defence if you do not mention one question, something which you later on in court, anything you do say may be given evidence. Do you understand the caution? I don't know. Um, your arrest is necessary in order for a prompt and effective investigation into the offence. What that means is so that I can ask you some questions. And also to protect uh, vulnerable people, mainly service users in the clinic. Okay? Um, so, you'll accompany us out to the police station. Uh, you get booked in front of a custody sergeant. You can watch this whole interaction by going to theblaze.com. This is a British police officer and his partner chatting with one woman, single woman, standing on the street. Her real crime is that in her head, she may be praying. That's the offense. Well, you have violated, apparently, this role against antisocial behavior. Antisocial behavior. What if I choose not to go to the neighborhood Christmas party? Oh, I'm sorry. You can't say Christmas. The, the neighborhood holiday party. 
Can you say holiday? Because that started as holy day. Somebody's going to be offended and triggered. All right, you can't go to the neighborhood. I don't want to go to the neighborhood get-together. That's antisocial behavior. What if you go to the, the neighborhood community party and then you, you burp? That's antisocial. How far do we want to go with this? Now, my first thought, and I'm, I'm going to go out and live and say your first thought as well is, ah, come on, it's Britain. It's the United Kingdom. There's a reason they don't have an empire anymore, because they're slowly but surely uh, just destroying everything themselves. But think about that for a second. She is standing on the street. Again, go to theblaze.com so you can see the video. There's nobody near her. She is not saying anything to anybody. She is standing on the street, and she says to the, to the constable, after he asks her, are you praying? And she says, well, in my head, maybe I am. And that's when this turns into an arrest situation. Are you telling me now that we cannot even be secure in our own private prayer? If you want to tell me that you're going to arrest her because she was blocking a door. Now, personally, I'm about as pro-life as you get. But if you want to make the argument she's she's on somebody else's property and she's she's not allowing people in or out, you can make that argument and you can affect an arrest. And while I just completely and totally disagree with the, the underlying belief system about it, I, I understand that in that case, you're talking about a physical act that impacts somebody else. This is a woman standing by herself saying a prayer in her head maybe and it's the fact that she might be praying not out loud but that's what triggers the entire arrest it is necessary that you be arrested necessary because you are violating an anti-social behavior rule wow this is dangerous this is getting closer and closer and closer to punishing people for what they think because you're not thinking the right thing there's another big component to this this is the well i can be anything i identify as movement And despite what you think, XX does not equal XY, and we will tackle that in a moment. Social media, I would love if you could help me out a little bit. I'm just trying to rebuild uh, when the the other folks were in charge of Twitter, you know, there was this shadow banning and ditching followers, and I think it might have been the same thing on Facebook. But if you would give me a follow on Twitter and on Facebook, I'd appreciate it. The Jeff Cats show easy enough the Jeff Cats show cats uh, is K A T Z you can also shoot me an email I'm always happy to read those uh, Jeff at the Jeff dot com it is Jeff Cats happy to be sitting in for Glenn this is the Glenn Beck program. 
My Pillow finally has their original My Slippers back in stock. It was close to a national crisis for all those who are working from home now. So don't miss this opportunity to get Mike's number one bestseller while supplies last. My Slippers. They now come in a ton of additional sizes and new colors. And when you use my promo code BECK, you're going to save $90 a pair. That means they're $49.98 per pair. My Slippers have an exclusive four-layer design. You're not going to find that in any other slipper. The patented layers make the slippers ultra comfortable and extremely durable. They'll help relieve the stress on your feet, and you can wear them anytime, anywhere. Get your 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square to save 90 bucks on the original My Slippers, $49.98 a pair. And while you're there, check out all the other products you've heard me rave about, from pillows to sheets to slippers. They got it all. Promo code BECK, 800-966-3117, MyPillow.com. the Glenn Beck program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for Glenn. 1-888-727-BECK, 1-888-727-BECK. We are venturing closer and closer and closer to thought crimes. Oh, we're not going to call them thought crimes. The left is smarter than that. Hate speech. How do we define hate speech? Anything that you say that does not go along with what I say. That is now deemed hate speech. What happens? What happens if you just don't agree with the orthodoxy being shoved at us by folks on the left? We'll get to another example at in a moment. Tony is in Ohio. Tony, you are on the Glenn Beck program. Thank you so very much for taking my call. Yes, sir. There's two things. You're a religious man, right? Yes. You believe in the Ten Commandments, correct? I do. All right. Number nine, thou shalt not put false witnesses against thy neighbor. Now, come to the First Amendment, not to change it, but I really feel we should put an amendment to the First Amendment Saying, if you lie, you fry, you go to jail. What are we lying about? Go with the Lord. Uh huh. And, you know, and anything in the Ten Commandments revolves around anything you do to get to heaven. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate the call, Tony. Uh, if you lie in courts, that's called perjury. And you do, in fact, find yourself going to jail for lying. That's exactly what it is. If you disagree with the orthodoxy, you've got a problem. And what are we seeing in the United Kingdom right now? They are saying we do not like what you're saying. We simply don't believe that what you're saying deserves to be heard. And they do not have the same protections we do. So what happens? Well, what happens is this. You are told you will believe this. But wait a minute, I don't believe that. Then you will be imprisoned. Wait a minute. That cannot happen here in the United States. It just cannot happen. And yet, 
what is happening as we speak. You are being told that you should not believe what you know to be true. The biggest issue right now is the entire transgender movement. Now, I don't hate anybody. Well, that's not true. I hate child abusers. I really do. To my core, I hate people who abuse children. But other than that, I don't really hate anybody. If you are a man who has decided, well, I really think I'm a woman. And you decide that you would like to live your life that way. Okay. Not my thing. But that's on you. But what if you're told that even questioning this becomes almost a a punishable offense? I want you to take a listen to this uh, Dr. Levine. Some would refer to him as Dr. Richard Levine, and some would refer to him as Dr. Rachel Levine. I will just call him Dr. Levine. I'd like to be as respectful as possible, but I want you to take a listen to what Dr. Levine had to say. So health professionals have a critical role to play. We must continue and to expand their work to address health misinformation directly with their patients. Now, this includes, but it goes beyond COVID-19. So I'd like to just talk briefly about another area of substantial misinformation that is directly impacting health equity in our nation. And that is the health equity of sexual and gender minorities. There is substantial misinformation about gender-affirming care for transgender and gender-diverse individuals. We are in this nation facing an onslaught of anti-LGBTQI plus actions at the state levels across the United States, and they are dangerous to the public health. The positive value of gender-affirming care for youth and adults is not in scientific or medical dispute. So we all need to work together to get our voices Um, out in the front line. We need to get our voices in the public eye. And we we know how effective our medical community can be talking to communities, whether it's at town halls, schools, conversations with others. And we need to use our clinician's voice to collectively advocate for our tech companies to create a healthier, cleaner information environment. During a moment when public trust in our leaders and our information is very challenged, the healthcare worker community, the medical community does, I believe, maintain a high degree of trust. And we have to utilize that and we have to utilize it effectively. Did you get what Dr. Levine said there? Did you get it? You heard it, right? What did Dr. Levine tell us there? The government and social media has to has to come together to stop people from pushing ideas that, well, Dr. Levine doesn't agree with. Dr. Levine also makes this amazing statement. There is no dispute that, quote, gender-affirming care is positive. Well, I have news for you, Dr. Levine. There's tremendous dispute about that. There's tremendous disagreement about that. And how many folks are we now seeing and hearing or saying, you know, I was pushed into, quote, gender-affirming care, and now I regret it. We'll talk more about that 
as we head through the next couple of moments. Give me a follow on Twitter and Facebook if you don't mind. The Jeff Katz Show. It is Jeff Katz in for Glenn. It is the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program. It is the Glenn Beck Program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for Glenn from News Radio WRVA in Central Virginia. You are a hater. I'm not, Jeff. Yeah, you are. How can you say that? Because you don't agree with every single solitary thing that the uber leftists have put forward as the official belief. We live in a nation that has always embraced disagreement, right? Isn't that what we do? One of the things that helps to define who we are in the United States of America is agreeing on certain things and disagreeing on others. It's what we do. It used to be that we agreed we all love this country. That's not the case anymore. Make no mistake about it. The leaders of the progressives do not love this country. They don't even like this country. And they sure as heck don't like you and they don't like me. Now what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to have to listen to what they say. Are you? Oh, I will listen to what they say, but I'll tell you right now, I am not getting down on bended knee to to agree with them because I simply do not believe certain things are true. I don't believe that waking up and saying I am a blank makes you a blank. I follow one of those NCAA swimmers on Twitter. And she is just amazing. Taylor Silverman is her name. And she sends out tweets on a regular basis. And she says things like, saying that you're a woman doesn't make you a woman. She, by the way, is a woman. An NCAA swimmer. You remember her, and you remember all of the the insanity as a biological male was named the winner in the women's swimming competitions. Taylor Silverman is one of these young ladies who's had to deal with this, who's had to say, wait, well, what about my scholarship? How about my opportunity to compete at the Olympic level? The biological differences are clear. And the advantages that biological men have competing against women is also clear. You're just filled with hate. No. Here's what I would put forward. I would say you could have multiple categories. If that's what you want, you want to embrace transgender people in the athletic realm, that's fine with me. I don't have any problem with that. I can guarantee you right now, they are all better athletes than I am. You could have a male category, a female category, 
a biological male saying identifying as female category and a biological female identifying as male category. Go ahead, go for all of it. I'm okay with that. But why are we allowing women to be canceled? And that's what's happening here. I don't understand how left-wing women are going along with this. It's not my scholarship I have to worry about. It's not my opportunity. It's your opportunity. Do you really honestly want to just give it up? You heard Dr. Levine. And again, you can be one of those folks who says it's Dr. Richard Levine, Jeff, or one of those folks that says it's Dr. Rachel Levine. I'm just going to call Dr. Levine, Dr. Levine. Dr. Levine is smarter than I am. Dr. Levine is a doctor. But Dr. Levine also said, well, I didn't go through all of the transition stuff earlier because, well, I wanted to have children. Oh, now isn't this interesting? I don't know if Dr. Levine intended to do this, but Dr. Levine let us in on a little secret that a lot of this so-called gender-affirming care actually renders people incapable of having children, either fathering them or becoming a mother. I'll tell you again, as sure as I'm sitting here, if that's really who you think you are, I'm not going to stop you. But I am able to look at this and say XX doesn't equal XY and XY doesn't equal XX. It's, it's, it's not the Shania Twain song of, man, I feel like a woman. It's not the way this works. It's Taylor Silverman. If you're not following her on Twitter, my gosh, you ought to do that. You ought to see what, what she is saying right now. You ought to see the the thoughts that she's offering, the perspective that she has. And she's not somebody who, so far as I can tell, is filled with hate or vitriol or any of these other things that we keep hearing from the left. Oh, my God, if you don't... Oh, I'm sorry, I said God. It's that G word again. Oh, my gosh, if, if you don't agree with everything that we have to say, there's something wrong with you. I know that I have three children. I know that two of them are male and one of them is female. I know that my sons are going to go and live on their own. And I know that my daughter will never be able to live on her own. These are realities. They're not based in hatred or, or anger or anything else. They're not, they're, frankly, they're not even based in, in something positive. They're just the realities of the situation. I can look at my youngest son and say, oh, for God's sakes, go get a haircut. The kid's got hair. I mean, he's already the tallest one in the family. And then you add in this hair and, and that's another six inches of hair. You can't even see his face. So I know that's a fact. Now that is objective truth. Your hair is so long, it is hanging in your face. That is an objective truth based on observation. It is clear to anyone, if you look at my youngest son, that he has long hair hanging over into his face, obscuring the view of his face. That is objectively correct. That is a fact. Now, you say to him, 
why don't you get a haircut? And he says, well, I kind of like my hair this way. I think it looks good. And you point out a fact. Your hair is hanging down to your nose. And he says, yeah, but, you know, I just sort of brush it out of my face and everything is good. I think it looks good, he says. I say I don't think it looks good. Those are purely subjective. You could have a third person come in and say, well, I think you're both wrong. I don't think it looks good, but I don't think it looks bad. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm noncommittal. All subjective. There's no way that you can say you're right and you're wrong in that issue. You can't. Objectively, your hair is long. It's hanging down into your face. That is an objective truth. My feeling about it and your feeling about it and somebody else's feeling about it, all personal belief, all personal feelings. That's how we feel. But you can't argue the objective truth. And that's where we are on this. The objective truth, the objective fact is XX doesn't equal XY and XY doesn't equal XX. Now, if you want to talk about feeling, that's fine. But feelings can't trump facts, can they? In the real world, I feel like I should have won the lottery. The objective fact is I didn't. I feel like I should have gotten uh, a brand new car for Hanukkah. The objective fact is I didn't. You can ask me how I feel about things. I, I don't have any problem telling you how I feel. I'm in touch with my feelings. I'm a modern man. Not a metrosexual, but a modern man. I do have feelings. Can't argue the facts. And that's what this whole situation is. And the left, because they cannot win on the facts, because they continually want to elevate their feelings above facts, are now in a position where they're saying, if you don't agree with our feelings, if you don't validate our feelings as facts, we will declare that you are filled with hate and you need to be canceled. You need to be silenced. You're thinking something like that woman in Great Britain. We heard it a moment ago. And if you want to see the video, go to theblaze.com. She's standing on a street, a public street. She's not blocking anybody's access to anything. She's not interfering with anything. She is literally standing on a street corner. And she is apparently saying a prayer to herself. And it's at that point that the police constable, I can't even imagine in the days when I was a cop asking somebody, are you praying? What business is it of mine? But that police constable in England asks her, are you praying? And she says, well, in my head, maybe I am. And that's when he says, well, now you need to be arrested. Disturbing, uh, what was it? Uh, wasn't even public order. Social, social something or other. Poor social behavior. I just have to shake my head. But that's where we're headed if we do not wake up. How many times has Glenn warned about that great reset? This is all part of it. This is all part of it. The sooner that your thoughts are deemed criminal, the sooner 
the uber leftists can control everything. And make no mistake, that is exactly what they want. Social media, I'd love for you to give me a follow over on Twitter. Look for Jeff Cat Show over there, The Jeff Cat Show on Twitter. And on Facebook, if you don't mind giving that a follow, I'd appreciate it as well. The Jeff Cat Show over on Facebook. The Jeff Cat Show. Facebook, Twitter, Getter, it's the same everywhere. The Jeff Cat Show. It is Jeff Katz. In for Glenn, it is the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program. Miss a day, miss a lot. Visit blazetv.com today and never miss a moment of truth. It's the Glenn Beck program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for Glenn from News Radio WRVA in Central Virginia. I am, I'm sort of kind of on vacation, right? My regular program at News Radio WRVA, I'm not doing for a couple of days, but chance to sit in for Glenn? Are you kidding me? My gosh. <laughs> Thrilled. I was down in Dallas uh, about six weeks ago and popped in to see Glenn. I, w- I was down there for the, uh, for the Ziegler folks, Ziegler's legacy certification. I'm a big fan of Zig Ziglar, always have been. And, and, and the opportunity to do training with, with his son and his daughters and these other folks, just just amazing to me. You have no idea. But anyway, so I'm down there in Dallas, and I thought, well, if I'm, I've traveled almost 3,000 miles, i got to pop over and see Glenn. So I did. I went through the museum. I told you about this. Well, guess what? I'm, I'm reading in uh, Glenn's daily update. If you're not getting that, go to glennbeck.com and sign up for it. But... There's a report there, and there's a video there about uh, the latest auction that Glenn was participating in. Uh, Suffice to say, there'll be some brand new nifty things added to the museum in Dallas. So so go to glennbeck.com and get a little little update on that. What do I have planned for the rest of the day? Somebody sent me that note. Well, what are you doing the rest of the day? The rest of the day, I have important things to do, like hanging a picture in the in the guest bathroom, and if if it all works out the way it's supposed to, I will get to watch the second half of this brand new documentary entitled, Woo! The Ric Flair Story. Yes, Peacock uh, yesterday debuted this brand new documentary on Ric Flair. I am finding it fascinating. My wife is sitting there like with her eyes, oh my God, I can't believe it. Are we really going to watch this? Well, you don't have to watch it. This is where that long-time marriage thing comes into play. Remember I said there's some times where you you think to yourself, like right at the beginning, I would do anything for you. And then you get about 25 years into it, and your wife says, I can't believe I have to watch this. And then I'm thinking... In my, in my head, hey, you know, I'm a grown blank man. I'll watch anything I want. It's, it's my living room. I mean, I didn't say it out loud where she could hear me, but that's what I was thinking. And so hopefully today I will get to finish, woo, the Ric Flair documentary on Peacock. If you haven't seen it or you're, you're not familiar with it, get yourself over to Peacock and take a look at it. And if you want to see what I am being, I don't want to say subjected. That sounds so negative. But what I am doing for my wife, I'm watching this show with her called Alone, where these people are dropped somewhere in the middle of Alaska and they have nothing. 
And then they have to survive for, I think it's 100 days. And if they survive 100 days, they get a half a million dollars. And I thought to myself, I could use a half a million dollars. It's about about a half a million more than I have. But I don't want to be dropped in the middle of Alaska. How am I going to survive in the middle of Alaska? I feel it dips below 70. It's too cold. But those are the things that we're doing. Do me a favor. Stay in touch on social media. The Jeff Katz Show, Twitter or Facebook. It is Jeff Katz, K-A-T-Z, in for my friend Glenn. And this is the Glenn Beck Program. Glenn Beck Program.